Hello, we have a little announcement before the start of the episode. So we've actually created a Buy Me A Coffee. Buy Me A Coffee is a platform where content creators can gain support from their audience in a more interpersonal format. You can donate on a one-time basis or a subscription for a monthly fee. We love making this show for you guys so much, but it is quite a lot of work. No matter what, we are going to continue making content and expanding into new avenues, but we will be able to do that in a much grander way with your help. One-time donors of less than $5 will receive a shout out on our Twitter and donors of $5 or more will receive a producer credit on the episode following your donation. So if you donate on the day that we post an episode, the next episode you'll be credited as a producer. We are workshopping some other perks down the line for you guys. Um, Some things we have in mind are a private Facebook group for WBR listeners, members-only episodes, access to bloopers, mailing lists with book recommendations, and curated witchy playlists. The possibilities are endless, honestly. We're witches, dear. We can do anything. So, yeah, let us know what you'd be interested in. And how can they do that, Phoenix? You can let us know what kind of perks you would like to receive by sending us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. There will be links to our Buy Me a Coffee page in the show notes of every episode going forward, but you can find us there by searching for our full name, Witch Bitches Review, or our social media handle, WBRCast. Thank you guys so much for all of your support over the last year and a half or however long we've been doing this show. It's been such a blast, and we hope that we can continue to make it for you in the future. Are you a good witch or a bad witch? Hello and welcome to Witch Bitches Review. I'm a back alley half-breed that gets my kicks hexing rapists and almost getting murdered by my cult leader, Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. And I'm a feminist gay witch with a degree in women's studies. No, really. I really am. I'm Siren Rex Fry, and this is the podcast where two actual witches talk non-fucking-stop about the 2018 Charmed reboot for the next four episodes. Literally. Are you mad, bro? (laughs) We decided to do this because I really, I don't want to celebrate a queer POC show getting canceled. That, and you know what? That's literally, that's the exact wording that you said to me when we were first discussing it getting canceled. And it just hit me so hard when you said that, that this really is a queer POC show with a lot of queer women of color in it who don't die. Yeah. And... That it's groundbreaking, quite frankly. So, you know, we know that a lot of people have strong opinions about the show and a lot of those opinions are negative, but we think that it deserves its due and we think that the show is exactly the kind of thing that our podcast is about. So despite the fact that some of you may not be interested in hearing about this and that some of you may think the show is terrible, we have to talk about it anyway for everything it is and everything it represents. Like, I mean, this show has more characters of color than white characters like at all times at all times yes (laughs) yeah it makes such a real effort towards representation and inclusivity 
Does it do it perfectly all the time? No, but it still leaps and bounds ahead of some of its contemporaries, in my opinion. So um, literally, as I was finishing up this outline yesterday, I was listening to the Buffering the Vampire episode, um, Unbury Your Gaze, where they talk about um, Tara's death in Buffy and the ongoing trope of um, what they call bury your gaze or dead lesbian syndrome. So they're, you know, they're talking about this ongoing TV trope of killing off gay characters, especially if they're women. And I was thinking about how we're about to talk about the Charmed reboot, which has so many queer women of color in it and does not kill them off. Um, I'm going to allege that the Charmed reboot avoids the bury your gaze trope altogether. But I did want to talk about the tropes so that, you know, you guys understand like how important it is that we're not doing it. So let's talk about just dead lesbian syndrome. Let's talk about just shows recently that have killed off lesbian characters in like very disrespectful ways that show that the character is disposable and, you know, the death only serves to either just get them out of the story so they don't have to write about them anymore or inform someone else's story, you know. So just the top of the list of shows that kill off lesbian characters. Buffy, Pretty Little Liars, The 100. People were really pissed about that one, I understand. Her name was Lexa. I've never watched it, but there is Outcry. There's literally a lesbian character named Lexa who was killed off on The 100 and it inspired something on the internet called the Lexa Pledge, where show creators are vowing not to do this anymore in her name, okay? Um, There's an example from the 70s called Executive Suite, The Walking Dead, um, get this, fucking Charmed, fucking Charmed, the show we're always talking about, the original Charmed, Supernatural, so, so many times, something called Chicago Fire that I've never seen but apparently was huge, and something I recently watched, Van Helsing, did it in the first season, and it was very upsetting to me. Is that the one about the girl, the Van Helsing show? Is that, she's like a girl, and it's like a, it's like zombie apocalypse, but vampires, is that the show you're talking about? Yes, and I did enjoy the show. I like the show too. But the dead lesbian syndrome in season one was very upsetting to me. So the shows I listed are just talking about women. If we add men to the mix, there's even more. Brokeback Mountain, I think, is the most glaring example of a show about, quote unquote, gay men that had to kill one off in the end. The Craft Legacy, which which is something we're debating talking about soon and was supposed to be, you know, like super pro-queer and super pro-racially diverse, but no, they did it. They killed off their bisexual man to further the plot. Um, Also, Buffy, uh, The Vampire Diaries, repeatedly, I just have to cap this off with, if we start including trans people, we're talking about literally every police procedural ever made. I mean, the barrier gaze trope is is a huge problem in, in television and film. We don't ever get happy endings because there's no positive representations of our community having positive outcomes. It's kind of made me a little bit pessimistic about just like life in general. And you know, we have to remember, this is the premise of our podcast, that media representations have real life effects on the societies they exist in. And you have to remember too, that queer people didn't used to be able to find each other on the internet all the time. Sometimes the only like community queer people had was when they saw characters on television. I mean, I remember that reality from Mm -hmm. when I was younger. When what you're being taught is that you have no hope of happiness or love or a relationship because it will always end in death. Like when you see that repeated over and over and over again, that can be very psychologically damaging. That's the major reason why we want to pay this show its respects. We want to celebrate the things the show did right, call out what it did wrong, talk on the things that we liked personally, and even the things that we didn't. That being said, we will be talking about each season in its entirety across the next four episodes so there 
there will be spoilers ahead. I have a feeling that those of you that have not watched it already will not, so you're probably not interested in spoilers anyway, but just as a little warning up here at the top. The Charmed reboot has a very sad overall IMDb rating of 4.6 out of 10 and is based upon the series of the same name created by Constance M. Burge. In the first season, the highest rated episode is Switches and Stones, uh, which is an episode which focuses heavily on consent culture, victim blaming, and revenge porn. This episode features the Gorgon Medusa, who is sometimes thought of as a patroness for abused women. And this episode really evokes her essence and tells the truth of her story in a modern way. I am not surprised that that episode is the highest rated of season one because it's probably my favorite episode of season one. Mm Mm-hmm. The it I loved that episode so much. I love all of this like recurring Medusa mythology among survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. I love it. I love that Medusa, who like in classic films is this like big bad monster. You know, we have to watch Perseus cut her head off for just being around. You know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I I just love this recurrence of her mythology and we are embracing her and seeing her as a hero instead of uh, the monster. You know, I think I think adding modern touches to classical mythology is something that this show does really well in general. Yes. This charm was always meant to be an updated version of the show that we love. And I think it really, really did achieve that in season one, but ultimately did lose its way in the seasons to come, in my opinion. So we're in season one right now. And um. I can tell you that the main difference, I guess the thing that sets season one apart from the other seasons is that it's really good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) In season one, in my opinion, there was more of an attempt to evoke that feeling that you get from watching the original Charmed. There was more of like a focus on the sisterhood and the family and like rebuilding after a traumatic loss. Yes. Yeah. Um, that kind of gets lost in the seasons to come and sort of just like falls into becoming another formulaic CW show. But let's save that for season two. So, you know, let's, let's talk about the actresses. Let's introduce our new charmed ones. Yeah. Just like in our original show, we have three main actresses playing the sisters who are the charmed ones. So Macy is played by Madeline Mantock. She's been acting since 2011. She's been in things such as like the Tomorrow People, Into the Badlands, uh, a BBC hospital drama called Casualty. She's now currently doing plays on the West End, which is, I, I believe, part of why she's not on the show anymore, but we'll talk about that later. She plays the oldest sister, Macy. They do the whole like half sister shtick that the original show did in a little bit of a different way with Macy. She's a scientist, which is interesting. It's awesome. It's really cool that she's so smart, but it's like, that's her being a scientist is like, all we get from her for the first half of the season and then we get like something else from her and then something else from her that don't really like flow together in my opinion because once she finds out that she has demon blood demon blood demon side oh my god demon blood i have demon blood in me i have so much to say about that (laughs) i mean so i agree she does go through a a couple of changes but like i think she's still like a scientist through and through in every episode and I feel like that aspect is always well done and I never get tired of it. Yeah, I think I think her being smart always is there, which is wonderful to see just like her excellence in every episode in that way. Her powers include telekinesis, uh, fire throwing, and eventually immobility. 
which is very, very similar to molecular stasis, which is maybe why Mel didn't get her powers back. I mean, she's definitely like the Prue in the beginning. They they mirror, they mirror the original sisters pretty closely at first, but then they take them off in different directions, which is actually something I also really like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They did pay homage pretty heavily and well done to the original, but at the same time, they were like, but this isn't going to be a carbon copy. We're going to take the original characters, make them women of color in the modern era, and see how those journeys go forward. And I think that that was really well done, especially in season one. I did forget to put in here that Macy has this brief ability called evil sight where she jams a needle in her forehead and she can see what demons are thinking or whatever um and that's that's a little crazy it doesn't make any (laughs) it doesn't make any sense yeah yeah and you know like after a while they were like you know what let's not do that anymore my well my original favorite of the sisters is the next one um her name is mel and she's played by melanie diaz and this show has a little bit of characters being played by actors who have the same name so like i i wonder if that was uh intentional I feel like maybe they cast her and they were like, oh, well, her name already starts with an M, so let's just call her Melanie. Could be that. But they didn't do that with Madeline, who plays Macy, you know. But anyway, I like their names. I love the alliterative names. It's another callback to the original, you know, where everyone's name started with a P. And this one, they all start with an M. And I think that's cute. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, So Melanie Diaz has been acting since 2001 and has been in nothing I've ever heard of, (laughs) but has a lot of roles, apparently. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, the reason that Mel is my favorite character in season one is pretty straightforward. Um, she is an academic feminist, a women's studies professor, a social activist, and a lesbian. Oh my god. There has never, I swear, there's never been a character like Mel on TV before. Like, add all that to the fact that she is Latina. Um, you never see that. Mm -mm. You never see lesbian women of color who are, like, feminists. You know? And, like social activists. And of course, these people are real. People like that are real, and they're my goddamn heroes, but you never see them on television. But this one gets to be on TV for four seasons. I love that for her. I love it. I think that Mel is groundbreaking. I'm just saying yeah. it. And that's why she's originally my favorite character. Um, She's like what I aspire to be, like quite frankly. <laughs> I really like Mel a lot too. I like, here's the thing, I like all of the sisters. I There's not one of them that I like ever really elevate above the others, but I love them all. Yeah, same. Um, Big same. Um, So, you know, she's playing the the Piper of the group. Um, Her original power is time freezing. It eventually goes to time manipulation, which I thought was really cool. And it would have been super cool if Piper could have done that. But she can, like, make objects age, you know? And eventually she can time travel. And then they also sort of referenced the fact that Piper gets to blow things up later. And they gave her these heating and cooling powers, which I also think are actually really cool. Um, because there's this move that Mel does over and over again, and I never get tired of it, where if somebody has a gun, she will superheat that gun so they have to drop it. Yeah. And I love it every time. Mel is so anti-gun violence. Yeah. Yeah, it's bad. She, I mean, if it works, it works. It does kind of give me, like, uh, central heating and cooling vibes sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, what are, what are your powers? I'm a thermostat. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mel's powers are largely free on base. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the youngest sister is Maggie. She's played by Sarah Jeffrey. She is originally my favorite sister. I really like... Sarah Jeffrey's acting a lot. I like Maggie a lot as a character. I think the way that her development goes is really cool. 
Um, Sarah's been acting since 2013, and she's probably best known for playing Audrey in The Descendants, which is that, like, Disney Channel movie slash series about, like, the kids of Disney villains. Isn't she, like, the child of a Disney princess in that? Isn't that what it is? I have, she's, like, Cinderella's daughter or something. Uh, girl, I have no idea. I've not seen it. I don't either. I haven't but... <laughs> I haven't watched Disney Channel since Hannah Montana went off the air, okay? No, I know. I haven't watched any of it, but I asked David about it because he's a nerd, and I'm pretty sure he said that she was, like, like Cinderella's daughter and in the descendants the children of the princesses are like total bitches oh I guess what's up with that Maggie is a sorority girl she's a student and she's a waitress and I think that a lot of her journey in season one is a little bit like surface level there's a lot about her she I mean her she really is the counterpart of Phoebe through and through they really kind of like hit that nail on the head with her in the beginning they do absolutely but still I don't feel like it stays on the same note. it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't stay that way for the whole I feel show like she takes she takes a journey that Phoebe could have had but didn't you know? yeah absolutely honestly I feel like Maggie kind of takes the journey that we wish Phoebe had had <laughs> yeah at some times uh-huh. what I want to say about Sarah Jeffrey is that I'm not trash talking any of the other actors but I think that Sarah Jeffrey is the best actress on the show oh yeah mm-hmm. absolutely and she's very clearly multi-talented she has several um dance scenes mm-hmm that I think are amazing. She also has some singing scenes that I think are amazing. Um, just all around, she's very talented. Yeah, I think she is absolutely the best actress on the show. I think she's wonderful. Yeah, like this girl can act. She can do comedy. She can do emotion. She can dance. She can sing. She can do fight choreography. Like Sarah Jeffrey is a like quintuple threat or whatever. Yeah, she's a boss ass bitch. I love her. So Maggie's powers include telepathy, empathy, this random weird vagina hyperbeam thing. Only happens once, but it's notable. <laughs> yeah. Uh she has like the ability to channel emotion into bursts of energy which are amplified by the staff she gets from her mommy the staff was so fucking cool yo yeah it was i can't even i love an ultimate weapon and her with her empathy staff fucking yes donatello realness yes oh my god (laughs) maggie and her staff all-time favorite iconic uh she learns martial arts she eventually gains the power of premonition and emotional manipulation and mimicry she is basically like rogue from the x-men in the last season she can do whatever the fuck she wants yeah maggie has so many powers by the end of it which i also think is funny because they always treated phoebe like her like psychic abilities were you know negligible Mm -hmm. or whatever and they were like no maggie's psychic abilities make her fucking badass yeah she's so powerful and like the journey that her empathy power takes her on should have been what happened with phoebe too Like, that is exactly Mm -hmm. what it should have been. Phoenix has more opinions on this next one than I do. But, of course, we have a white lighter um, whose name is Harry, played by Rupert Evans. Um, So he's the new white lighter, but with no white lights (laughs) at all. Um, I just want to say my main thing Mm -hmm. about Harry, and I feel like the show addresses it, but Harry's introduced as the head of the women's studies department, and Mel works for him. And he, as a white cis man, took over her Latina mother's job as the head of the women's studies department, which is something that Mel calls out in the first scene where we meet him. Yeah. <laughs> like she's not having it. And correct. So I have a lot of feelings about that. It is, I, I don't know, it's incorrect for him to like be in that role and also supposed to be like a sympathetic guiding character to us who defends himself in that role at points. 
But also, I, you know, things like that do happen, and I love that they immediately just, like, call it out. She's like, no, this fucking sucks. You don't have the perspective for this, you know? And he doesn't, which is a plot point that we explore heavily in season three, but of course I have to wait to get to that. Yeah, so he's the new white lighter, and he eventually gains, like, necromantic powers, which is really cool, I think. At first, I really, really hated the orbing effect, but after binge-watching the show to prepare for this episode, it's really not that bad. I don't think it's bad. Do they even call it orbing, though? They do. They do? Because there's no orbs. There are no orbs. I'm pretty sure they call it orbing, at least at first. To me, the Harry's teleporting effect looks very, like, biblical angel. Like, it's like there's, like, a bunch of rings, you know? Yeah, to me, it looks like, uh, like, apparating from Harry Potter. I almost wonder... I feel like they there are like there's this like rings a kind of effect. I wonder if that's related to like angel depictions and the fact that he's a white lighter, aka angel. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, the white lighter part of white lighter has to do with like what emanated from his hands when he was like healing or wiping memories and stuff. And I think that that mm-hmm. was like pretty cool. Although he's the worst actor in the show. Um, he has his moments that are not great. Yeah, I will take the <laughs> flack. I will trash talk. He is not very good. Um, but to be fair, he doesn't have a lot to work with either. His his story goes from being in love with a witch to being in love with a witch to being dead, pretty much. So, like, I just, uh, there's not a lot there. They try in season two to give him a little bit more, but it's just not, it's not there for me. I do think that the story, that the stories they give him are pretty good, but he, he doesn't quite sell them all the time. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So do we want to like do some comparisons to what is similar to the original show to give people some perspective? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, as we've said, I really feel like they start off with a strong nostalgic base and then take it in a new direction, which is, I think, what a good reboot does. Yeah. You know, which is why I like season one so much because it's exactly what they do and they accomplish it pretty beautifully. Yeah, absolutely. They do. So, yeah. So we have, you know, they have a manor, which looks very similar to the Halliwell Manor. They've got a book of shadows. They've got a dead mom. Just like you, Phoenix. Just like me. Yeah. Um, yeah. They've got alliterative names. Um, they just found out they were witches. Their powers are almost the same. There's white lighters, there's elders, there's demons, and there's camp. There's definitely camp. I feel like the campy moments in this, the the camp of the Charmed reboot is on purpose, which makes it a little less mm-hmm. believable. Whereas like the camp of the original Charmed was kind of not on purpose. Not as self-aware. Not as self-aware. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. There are some good moments, though. Um, My favorite campy moment right away was in episode two of season one, where they don't want Harry to know that they're talking about him. So they start calling him Meghan Markle. <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> that joke hit right for me every time. Yeah, I liked the Meghan Markle joke. That was very funny. Yeah, yes. It was good. Uh, and right off the bat, though, the show is fucking woke. It's so woke. This is the wokest fucking show you've ever seen. Its eyes be open. Yeah. And what I like about that is that it's not, like, forced and cringy. Like, they just kind of insert a lot of, like, woke political points into, like, flowing conversation. And it, it works really well. And it kind of reminds me of, like, when me and my gay friends get really pissed about something going on in the world. Yeah. So I love it. Um, I mean, one of my best... There's an example of that okay it's very hard to talk about police violence against people of color without being heavy-handed and emotional because that is such an issue Mm -hmm. you know but there's a part where nico just casually says to her partner nico's a cop her partner's a cop she says um mel doesn't like 
cops with guns in her house and plenty of people of color feel that way. And she just says it so matter-of-factly and they accept it and they move on with the conversation. It's, um... It's just basic. It feels realistic. I like that moment a lot. Absolutely. So there's there's a really nice balance of magic and science in this show, which is something that the original didn't really do. No, the original did not do it at all. No, uh, th- it creates a really unique spin and an interesting way to like problem solve within the magical realm. And I think Macy is really the crux of that. She really embodies both of those things. Yeah. The magic and the science of it all. I do think it's a little silly that they um, vanquished their first demon with baking soda though <laughs> i did not think it was silly i thought it was awesome i thought this is something we've never seen before true and true. when i first saw it i i wanted it to continue because i watched the premiere like when it came out with david my roommate who some of you may know is like the science witch like magic and science combined is his whole jam it's his whole personality and we watched it together and he was enthralled with macy um and so was i and i like that this show really goes out of its way to combine the two things because science has answers too and i like that a lot because it aligns with how real life witches should be approaching things yes (laughs) and it's Definitely calls out the way some real life witches are not approaching things. Yeah, we live in a modern world with so much more knowledge than our predecessors. We should be using it. We should be using it. We should be combining our spiritual power, our magic, the things that we believe we can do with science. Yeah, and I really feel like, I feel like this show knew that it was going to appeal to, like, minorities with, like, eclectic spiritualities. Oh, yeah. You know, I think it knew that, and I think, I think it knew that it had to say that science is important, too, because not even just among New Age kind of people, but among, like, America in general, um, there's a lot of science denying going on right now that has, of course, steadily worsened, but was, you know, definitely happening in 2018 when this came out, which I guess hits an overall point point that this show strives to be socially responsible at all times which you know yes a lot of shows don't <laughs> yeah but i can't i cannot think of a time when this show did not try to be socially responsible with whatever story it was telling and that's huge yeah and it's it's something to commend quite frankly yeah it's a huge deal it's a really huge deal and season one especially like it's hard sometimes to find your footing like in the first season of any show a lot of times they don't know what they are yet like I think the original Charmed had that problem where like the first season started one way and kind of went in a different direction to another thing. Because a lot of the times I think like shows are based around what the pilot was. And I don't I don't get that vibe from this show. I really feel like they knew where they were going to go from start to finish with this. And there's a really clear through line. And having that allowed them to be a little bit more expansive on the subject matter and how to handle the subject matter responsibly. So this is kind of fun that you brought up the pilot, because if you'll remember on like the second episode, that we recorded of our podcast over a year ago. We got into like a pretty heavy discussion of what pilot episodes are and what special things we can look at with them. So it's kind of fun that we get to do it again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a pilot episode is really trying to tell you what the show is about while also being its own complete story. The Charmed Reboots pilot episode is great. I'm sorry. It's fucking great. I watched it and I was so excited for the reboot as soon as I saw the pilot. You know, there'd been a lot of discussion about whether or not it was going to suck. Yeah. And when I, when I saw the pilot, I was like, this show does not suck. <laughs> this show is great. Yeah, me too. 
I I love the pilot. The first, like, uh, even just like the first 15 minutes of the show had me enthralled. And then from start to finish, I was there. I was for it. And there are so many fans of the original Charmed that have such negative opinions about this show that have never even watched it. That have never given it even correct a fraction of a chance that from the minute it was announced, they were like, it's not the original, I don't want it. And that's a valid opinion to have for yourself, to feel that way yourself, but to publicly and vehemently like trash some- Attack. Yeah, to attack something that you've never even watched, I think is unacceptable to me personally. So. I, you know, I wish I'd done more research on this, and I didn't know when we were going to talk about it exactly, but now's as good a time of any. But, like, what is it that people hate about reboot? Because whenever there's a reboot of anything, if it was, like, beloved in any way, whenever there's a reboot, there's always such a visceral, violent reaction to it among fans of the original. I've seen it so many times. Mm -hmm. My first experience of this was when the hairspray movie musical came out with Nikki Blonsky. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? I love that movie. Are you kidding? I I fucking love that movie. Everyone in that movie is so good. Nikki Blonsky, Queen Latifah, fuck yeah. Um, They're awesome. I love that movie. Um, My friend, who was heavily in love with John Waters and really loved the original Hairspray, and so when she found out that that movie musical was coming out, like, she became so upset and she was one of those people who was like posting on get this myspace about it (laughs) oh geez yeah and i remember there was this thing that she had posted like vote against the new hairspray like what, what does that even mean like you just get on the internet and you tell the internet that you don't think the movie should be made and then they make it anyway. We are going to have a governmental election to stop this hair. Yeah, yeah, basically we're going to file an injunction <laughs> on this movie. Um, And, you know, again, okay, so Hairspray has a bit of a white savior thing going on. It definitely does. Mm-hmm. And so we, we could talk about how that's problematic. But also Hairspray was like a good, a feel-good movie musical about how racism sucks that gave good singing roles to people of color that explored their issues in the 60s. Like, it's not perfect, but it's got some nice representation mm. in there. Yeah. I mean, you got Queen fucking Latifah. Like, I love <laughs> Yeah. That's really all I have to say to justify it, right? Just be like Queen Latifah. Like, I like it. I want to see more of it. <laughs> so yeah. And, and so I guess we almost the same thing here. Um, people are so against reboots, even if they, like, really add value to society, they take something beloved and nostalgic and update it to the social values of the current era. And Mm -hmm. I am, I love that. For me, that just means I get more. When I heard there was a Charmed reboot, I was like, yeah, I love Charmed, and now I get more Charmed. Like, that was my line of logic. I felt the same way about Hairspray. But people hate reboots so much. I can say, from, from my perspective, I... When I heard that the Charm reboot was happening, I was excited. I didn't care whether it was good or bad. I wanted to watch it. I wanted to watch it because it was witches and it was fun. And it was like a reference to this thing that I loved a lot. And I understand some of the people that like some of the fans that felt a little betrayed by it because it wasn't the characters that they loved. I get that. I can understand where you're coming from with that for sure. But you really have to be able to watch this reboot and separate it from the original. You have to be able to appreciate it as its own thing for it to be enjoyable for you. And that took me a second to get into. But as I continued to watch the first season and got to know the characters a little bit more, that became an easier thing for me to do. And See, I th- I just think, 
Okay, so let's be broad here. But literally all of storytelling is about reboot. And it's so funny to me that these people can like hate the Charmed reboot and be like, we must respect the original when, first of all, making the reboot in no way removes your ability to watch and enjoy the original. Yep. (laughs) In no way. Nothing has been taken from you. I'm sorry if that hurts to hear, but there it is. But let's think about things that happened in the original. How many mythological creatures and gods and story tropes we've seen before were recycled by Charmed and put in their universe that they put their own spin on? Should, like, people who enjoyed the Leprechaun horror movies be, like, having a meltdown over the Over the Rainbow episode? (laughs) Or, like, if you liked The Little Mermaid, should you be mad that there was a mermaid in Charmed with basically the same storyline? Were you a big Ursula fan and didn't like the sea witch? All of storytelling is recycling, you know? Mm -hmm. And Charmed is hardly the first iteration of three witch sisters, but guess what? Again, I can't get into that until season four. Yeah, I mean, agreed, agreed. I think, so the show is different enough that they could have given it a different name uh, and that would have maybe softened the impact, but it also would have taken a lot away from the like the trajectory of the story and y- universe building. It would have been a lot harder to like get from start to finish without it being a Charmed reboot, right? If we, like, let's say we took the Charmed name off of it and they weren't called the Charmed ones and they were called something else, it would have been a little bit of a different show. Right. I yeah, but I also think it would have felt like a cheesy ripoff that was trying to pretend it wasn't. Exactly. Yeah. And that that I think would have been more disrespectful. Exactly. And thank you for like getting me to the point that I wanted to make with that because yes, it's called the same thing and it's pretty different and it's not the same characters. But if they had done something else with it and not called it that, people would have had the same issue. This is charmed, but they're not calling it charmed. They're not giving any respect to yep. charmed. So they, they couldn't win, right? From the time that from the second it came out. No, they couldn't. They win. could not. And should they have maybe talked to the original cast a little bit more and gotten their input from the start? Yeah, probably. Would that have maybe made it a little more palatable for new viewers of the show? Probably, but that's not what happened. But also, I don't, I don't understand where it's written that that's like the only acceptable way to do it. There were a lot of people involved in the original who basically were mad that they weren't consulted about the reboot. But like, the reboot wasn't supposed to be the show that you worked on. It was supposed to be a new show. And sorry, they that you weren't needed. <laughs> what do you, what do you want? Sorry. <laughs> You weren't. Yeah, good point. Um, Good point. And also, like, I keep thinking of examples. How many times have, like, superhero movies and shows been rebooted? And do they get this, like, same kind of backlash? Sometimes, but usually not. Like, how many fucking Spider-Mans are there? So many. Like, three. Four. And, you know, people will have their favorites. People will be like, I like this actor better than this one. I like this movie better than this one. That's fine. But I just don't feel like there's this, like, visceral hate reaction where everyone's like, we hate Andrew Garfield. Fuck that guy. He should go to hell. And Tobey Maguire will, I don't know, choke him with some sticky white stuff he shot out of his hand. What does Spider-Man do? <laughs> um, no, that's a really good point. There are so many iterations of different characters within the superhero genre and the Marvel Universe in particular. There are so many different stories, so many different origin stories, so many different movies that are all telling essentially the same story in a different way with the same character in a different way, but still connected to the original thing. And that is eventually where this show got. It just, like, wanted to find its footing first and be its own thing. And it did that. People just didn't even give it a chance. And there are so many people online 
that just will attack this show just for no reason. I do kind of want to wrap up this little conversation because we're going to get, well, we're probably going to get into it in every episode. And I feel like this is a good place to start. Um, But I, I would like to wrap it up by just saying that like, you know, we were talking, the reason this, that these four episodes exist of our podcast is because Phoenix and I were talking about a meme that was celebrating the show getting canceled. And that was, I showed Phoenix the meme because I thought that it was very funny in an inappropriate way. But that's why Phoenix said to me, I can't celebrate a queer POC show getting canceled. You know, it was, it was our response to like seeing this visceral hatred for the reboot. And that's, Mm -hmm. that inspired us to do this. And we'll probably repeat some of it, too. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about the elders a little bit, because that was my favorite change yes. from the original to the new one. I also feel like it was the first big change. Yeah. It was the first right? thing that was, like, totally, totally different. Um, that didn't even have, yeah. like, a whiff of the original to it, you know? I love that the elders are witches instead of, like, promoted white lighters. <laughs> like, white lighter management. I don't... Yeah. Yeah. So the elders in the original were like basically gods. Yeah. And I mean, they still suck, but it makes so much more sense for witches to be calling the shots. And so, you know, I love when shows are self-aware. And one of my favorite things they did was when they first meet Charity, who's the first elder they meet, you know, they say they expected her to basically be like an old white man in a robe. And then she says, I know, I feel like we need to rebrand. And I just think that was so funny. <laughs> I thought it was so funny. I, I love the elders. I I mean, I, I think they deserved their fate towards the end of the season with all getting murdered because they were like, oh, yeah. they were just kind of awful but let's talk about let's talk about what charity tells us about the elders in her very first scene because you don't pick up on it right away like they kind of you know maybe because i'm a white person i got the wool pulled over my eyes maybe not everybody (laughs) saw it this way i don't know but like you really kind of think that charity is going to be an annoying good guy that the elders are annoying good guys Mm -hmm. like they were before yeah you know, but there's this line that she says where she talks about what she does for a living and it's very white savior. It's very white savior. She runs a business where she helps like disadvantaged people of color in other countries like sell things that they've made or whatever. And she says something like we're making change through um, ethical female focused capitalism. <laughs> And if that is not the most rich, white, liberal, feminist thing you've ever fucking heard in your life. (laughs) That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I didn't give it, I mean, I didn't even give it that much thought, which says a lot, Um, you know. So I did not give that line any thought until I watched it for the third time. And then I was like, oh, okay. So the fact that this character said that means they're actually telling you what the show creators think about this kind of feminism. (laughs) I never thought of it that way. I always just kind of... I viewed their rules as sort of, like, archaic and um, lacking comprehensiveness, I guess. That's not the, exactly the word that I'm looking for, but, like, the way that they approach things was was not intersectional. Yeah. Well, and so some of... Like, we do meet another elder who is not white. I believe she is um, from India? Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's Indian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so not all of the elders are white, but Charity's the one we see the most. And, like, think about the role that she plays. She's a rich white lady, and she basically just tries to boss the charmed ones around all the time. She's like, you're younger, you're women of color, 
you don't understand things the way that I do. So you just have to do what I say. And I'm uninterested in your opinions. Like, that's how she treats them. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. All the time. Absolutely. And that is absolutely a fucking allegory for rich white liberal feminism. Mm. Absolutely. It, it's basically the modern reincarnation of making the black women march in the back of the suffragette parade. You know, like, that's what this is. So we have a couple of other, um, I guess, just character discussions that we want to have. And we're not going to give you the, like, fullness of these characters, but more like, I guess, their most important elements of the story. Mm-hmm. Because they all they all definitely bring something to, like, the vision of what the show is trying to create. Um, so the first one is actually so the first one is Nico and I'm going to harpen back to how we just said that this show features a lot of queer women of color so in the first episode we meet not one but two queer women of color Mm -hmm. there's Mel and her ex-girlfriend Nico who is Asian Nico is Asian yes Um, and she I mean she's there for like a hot minute and then they're like "Uh, maybe we don't really need her and then they bring her back and then they nearly kill her, and then we never see her again. It is very, it is very placed with your emotions. Um, it seems like they wanted Mel to have a girlfriend, so they created Nico. And you know, maybe Nico was supposed to be the Andy of the season because she's like the cop that they know. Yeah, like maybe that was the point. But it basically seems like they decided, oh, you know, actually we came up with a better idea for Mel's girlfriend, so let's get Nico the hell out of the story. I honestly, yes, I can agree with that. I can agree with that too. Which is what happens, but they don't do it by killing her. And then they actually bring her back and say the way we removed her from the story has consequences. So I actually feel like as it was pretty respectful treating of her. And also when Nico comes back into the story, she brings with her her girlfriend Greta, who also doesn't die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> was Greta white? Yes, Greta was white. Yeah. Okay, but still a lesbian. But still a lesbian. Uh, I honestly, I think that Nico and Mel's relationship was handled a lot better than Prue and Andy's relationship. And I also think it was a lot more believable than Prue and Andy's relationship. Maybe it's because it's gay, but it feels a lot more believable to me than that relationship did. Even I just generally feel better watching lesbians than I do heterosexuals. Yeah, I mean, I'm um... always going to go for the gay shit instead of the straight shit, for sure. Yeah. Uh, I love I love lesbians. I've probably mentioned this on the podcast. You have. But I just... I. <laughs> I love lesbian storylines. I love lesbians on television. I love lesbians in real life. I just, it's like that meme of Marge Simpson. I just think they're neat. (laughs) I do. Yeah. I mean, even though, even though we have less time with it, it just feels more authentic to me. Uh, And maybe that's because it's just a lot closer to what my real life experience is. And there are some good moments. There's the moment where Nico like accidentally drinks the truth potion. I thought that was funny. That was really funny. (laughs) I thought it was great. (laughs) So let's move on to Mel's other girlfriend, Jada. Who's I love getting this, a queer, Jada. A queer woman of color. Jada is so hot. Jada is possibly the hottest woman I've ever seen in my life. Um, she has like this head full of braids. She's got tattoos. She is this half white lighter, half witch, punk rock, anarchist, vigilante witch. Oh, my god i i love jada so much i think her character had so much potential and i'm really sad we never see her again because i think her being incorporated yeah. into the second season her coming back would have been perfect i i would have loved to see her again 
So, okay, so Jada is a major part of season one. Yes. But she she leaves right before the finale. She doesn't die. She leaves. She's actually the only survivor of a bunch of people who do die. Yes. So, good on you, Jada. Um, but she leaves, and I really thought that we would see her again. I did, too. But I really, really don't. did. I really, yeah, I really feel like they left it open for her to come back, but it never happened, um, which is too bad, because I thought she was awesome. Um, obviously, my um, top moment for Jada is that she witnesses a man try to roofie a woman at a bar and she puts a hex on him. <laughs> yup. Um, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. And this is treated like, this is treated like a misuse of magic when like other people hear about it. And I'm like, no, no, you should absolutely fucking hex date rapists. That is what magic is for. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I, um, if you can't tell by this conversation, Jada was the character I, introdu- I introduced myself as. Uh, I just love her. And that Sarkana hex that she does on him, the justice now, consequences now, it is so. I love that. Love that. Uh, so fucking love so that. I actually am planning to use that exact spell in a hex on the Supreme Court very soon. So That's such a great idea. Um... You know, I have a lot of spells from the old Charmed in my Book of Shadows, but I have not worked on my Book of Shadows in a long time. So I need to put some spells from the new Charmed in there. And that's definitely one of them. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I am pro-hexing rapists. And really, I am pro-hexing anyone that tries to take away your bodily autonomy. So Yes, and just remember that there is a long history of the origins of a lot of magic arising from powerless women trying to find a way to protect themselves and get justice when society would not give it to them. So let's move on to Pencil Dick Parker. Oh my god. Parker should have been done at the end of season one, but wasn't. Yeah. And when Parker came back and Jada didn't, I was like, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. So he's absolutely the counterpart to Cole. If Cole was like sickly, goblin, hot, like disaster plague twink. Yeah. Like if Cole, <laughs> yeah, like if Cole was like an even bigger waste of space, like I'd fuck him, but only once, you know? Uh, yeah. Honestly, the actor isn't great. And I can't even say it's because he didn't have enough to work with. Like I could with Harry, like with Phoebe and Cole, there wasn't anything there. There were no layers. It was like, I'm a demon. You're a witch. We can't fuck anymore. But with Parker, there were so many layers that could have been pulled back that just weren't. He was basically just like a whiny baby about all of his problems instead of fueling them with any type of emotion. That is true. But like Parker was also like very much Gen Z. Like Cole was like 100 years old and Parker is like 20 years old. Um, yeah, but the, so there's that. Obviously, Julian McMahon brought a lot to the role of Cole that Nick Hargrove is not bringing to the role of Parker. But I, I don't. And even though that was a point, I don't think at any point the show creators were like, you're supposed to like Parker. I don't think that that's what was going on. I think that the Parker storyline exists for the show creators to be like, here's how it should have gone. I, I think so, too. And But the thing about Parker is, like, there were family expectations that could have been pulled upon to make his character more interesting. There was, like, this idea of his illness that could have been a lot more gripping and interesting. There was his love for Maggie that made things complicated and it could have made it more interesting. And he just didn't ever take it there with any of the stuff that 
his character was going through. I feel like there was just like one step missing to his performance that could have made it a lot more enjoyable to watch. But really everything that happens with Parker, I'm like, oh my God, get this fucking twink off my screen already. Basically, yeah. Um, And it does go on a little bit longer than I would like. Um, But I just like, I don't know. Phoebe takes a long time to be over Cole and she puts up with a lot of shit. Mm -hmm. Whereas... Like, Maggie reaches a point where she is fucking done with Parker. <laughs> yeah. And I prefer that. Yeah, same. I prefer that. Um, so I don't I don't love that the whole Parker thing happened at all, but I feel like they were like, you know, let's take that scenario and let's make it modern. I will have to say, the Charmed reboot does take a lot of major storylines from the original and make them more modern, and this is one of them. So I feel like the original Charmed spent a lot of time defending Cole. They even made, like, Leo and Piper defend Cole at points, which is stupid, retrospectively. (laughs) So stupid. Because I would literally never defend my younger sister's abusive boyfriend. I would never do that. No. I would fucking kill him and make everyone hate me. Um, so that happens. This show doesn't really defend Parker that much. Like no. Maggie tries to, but he um, he's just not redeemable. I don't think I don't think we're supposed to like him. And I don't think we're supposed to root for him and Maggie to work out. And we don't. No. And I, I mean the one scene where he like falls out of the shower and, and is shirtless is supposed to be hot, but I'm just like, you are tiny and hairless and that's not my thing. That's so that is my thing, but that scene is where I got the disaster plague twink <laughs> thing from. <laughs> because he is like he does look sickly a lot. Like <laughs> But, you know, they say they're like new archetypes for male sexiness now. You know, it's like line cook and disaster goblin and like plague victim. Like those are those are the male archetypes <laughs> we're attracted to now. Basically, all of which is summed up by Pete Davidson. Um, oh, my God. I actually would have enjoyed Pete Davidson playing Parker. I think <laughs> that would have been pretty good. So let's move on to Galvin. Uh, Galvin is the other character we want to talk about. Um He's kind of like Andy, but not really like Andy, but kind of like Andy, right? Little bit, yeah. Like, he is, but he is. Like, I guess, like, Galvin and Nico combined would have been Andy. Yeah, yeah. So he's, like, the love interest of the oldest sister who does end up dying um, at the end of the season. So in that sense, he is the parallel to Andy. Um, And he's also kind of a little bitch about magic stuff at a certain point, which is also kind of like Andy. I mean, it's... I don't know. He he fills. I guess I don't want to say that he is Andy. He just kind of fills this a similar role that Andy did, but not like well being anything like him. Um, Galvin's like a pretty serious character, actually. Like, there's not a lot of humor that comes from him. He's just pretty serious. He really likes Macy. Um, I can't believe we didn't mention this, but this is a great time to do it. So something we forgot to mention is that in season one, Macy, who is what, like 28, uh-huh. is a virgin. Yeah. Um, I I thought that was a great addition. It was a great thing to talk about. Um, and the moment when it came up is like super meaningful and also hysterical because um, Macy reveals that she's a virgin and Maggie is like, you know, you do whatever you want, girl. It's your life. And... <laughs> Mel is like, virginity is just a construct of the white male patriarchy. (laughs) (laughs) And they like say these two things like at the same time. Um, It's so good. Um, I loved that. I I loved all the exploration they did um, with what it meant for Macy to be a virgin and why she still was. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought it was really great. 
Um, it also furthered her character development a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and it's not something we really talk about anymore. Mm. Um, and, you know, in some ways, um, you know, we're very sex positive here, but sex positive includes choosing to abstain if that's what's right for you. Yeah. And there aren't a lot of storylines that are relatable for people who are choosing to abstain for whatever their reason is. But here we have Macy. And I enjoyed it. Now, halfway through the season, or toward the end of the season, she does have sex with Galvin. Yes. Which, let's be clear, so would I. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. What's really cool <laughs> about Galvin's character is that his presence in general, because of his background, incorporates different styles of magical culture into the show uh, without villainizing them the way that the original Charmed does. So his grandmother was a practitioner of Yoruba, apparently an African style of magic. I don't know anything about it because I'm white. Let's segue into our conversation about Yoruba and then bring it back to how Galvin's story ends. Okay. Um, Because Galvin is the character that brings Yoruba into the storyline of season one. In theory... It's probably a cool representation. And I remember when David and I were first watching it, we were really into the idea that they brought Yoruba into it. And we're talking about how it's different from Western magic. Mm-hmm. But the more I think about it, I'm like, is is this a good representation? Do I want to see Yoruba on being explored on television? Yes. But do I want to see it being explored incorrectly? Obviously, no. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge problem. Um, unfortunately, I don't feel... Um, like, confident enough to say that I really know whether or not this is a good representation, because I do not know enough about Yoruba, and I don't think that a quick Google search qualifies me to tell all of you that I do. Uh, Yeah, Um, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So what I can tell you is that Yoruba is the name of a people, a language, and a spirituality that all originate in Nigeria and that surrounding area in Africa. Um... I know a little bit about it. I know that there are Orishas or Orisas in Yoruba. I don't know who some of them are. Um, Like, Yamaya is like this creation mother mermaid. Um, And I think she's awesome. And she's usually portrayed as like a black mermaid with an afro. And I think she's cool as fucking shit. Um, Or at least in a lot of artwork I've seen of her in modern times, I should say. I've seen her portrayed that way. And I like it. Um, I used to have a friend who revered Oya, who was a Yoruba Orisha, um, who was like a, the grandmother goddess who controlled the weather and storms and was like very wise. I'm pretty sure uh, Dorothy Morrison references her in her book, Utterly Wicked. <laughs> she does. Correct. And probably in an irresponsible way. <laughs> yep. Um, is my guess. Um, <laughs> yeah. So there's that. Um, but anyway, so so all of this is my way of saying that, like, Phoenix and I are not qualified to tell you if this is or is not good representation of Yoruba. But I will say that upon I've watched it three times now, and it does seem like... They, they tell you, like, verbally that Yoruba and Western witchcraft are different, but you don't really see how, and you're not explained how yeah. they are different. It, it's um, just sort of, like, it's just sort of implied that it's a different magic from a different people and is enacted differently than what Western magic is, which I think we do see as true if you, you know, like, I'm not going <laughs> to, I don't want to phrase it like this, but if you pay attention, uh, like the way that 
Yoruba is enacted is different from the way that the Charmed Ones cast their spells. There's a lot of like sigil work and different forms of chanting and raising energy and different like rules for it. There are instances of it like presenting how it's different, but it's not fully explained why it's different. So I guess my question is, is the Yoruba that we see on the Charmed reboot as representative of real Yoruba as the Wicca that we see on Charmed is as representative to real Wicca? (laughs) That's my question. But I just don't know. I just don't know if this representation is positive or not. And I think you could look at it either way. But once again, I have to say, I don't feel qualified to come up with an answer. Um, And quite frankly, What I want to say is that if you are a person of color or someone who knows about Yoruba or practices Yoruba, and especially if you are also someone who has watched this show, could you write into us and tell us what you think about it? Because like, yeah, I really want to know. I really want to, I want to hear from somebody who knows more than I do. Yeah. About this. Absolutely. Um, uh, Phoenix, how can they email us? You can send us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. And that will be in the description or the uh, show notes of this episode. He loves to say that. Um, <laughs> and also, if, if you know, if you do write into us with a good answer, we will absolutely share it on one of our next episodes. So. Yes. Absolutely. Please do. Please do. Um, so Galvin reaches somewhat of a, a not a disappointing ending because they have to kill somebody, right? They have to kill somebody to make the show entertaining, to give it some punch, to make things feel real, which is something that happens in the show because the characters don't die, because there's no like final death very often. A lot of what happens in the show feels catastrophic for a little bit. And then nothing resolves later. I will say that, like, if they're following the rules they've set out, Galvin was, like, one of their only, like, two options of a main character to kill, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they can't kill the main cast, and they're not trying to kill a queer woman. So that basically leaves us with Parker and Galvin. Like, those are the only options of who dies. And obviously, they chose wrong. There was more to explore with Parker than there was with Galvin. Yeah, yeah. Um, Something that this show falls pray to is really repetitive writing and phrasing in the dialogue. We hear the lines, demon side, human side, witch side, demon side, blah, 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 probably seven or eight times an episode for the entire first season. The big one for me is demon blood. Yeah. Demon blood is the one they say. So I don't know if there's a name for this trope. And also if there is, would you email us at witchbereviewed at gmail.com and tell us um, if there's a name for this trope. But It falls into me in this trope of, like, where a show gets obsessed with, like, a certain object and, like, all the characters just keep talking about it. And they say it so many times, it doesn't even sound like a word or phrase anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And some other examples that I have come up with, and if you've watched especially the first two, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, In Sailor Moon, the Silver Moon Crystal. (laughs) Oh, my God. Shut up. They say it so many times. (laughs) Um... In Bleach Season 5, these are both animes, but in Bleach Season 5, the Jokai Crest. I cannot even tell you what the Jokai Crest is, but I do know that I have heard so many people talk about it for so long. Do not write into me to explain to me what the Jokai Crest is. I just want to forget it. And I'm going to go ahead and include in Buffy Season 5, the key. Yeah. The key. Where is the key? Who is the key? The key. She has my key. We get it. You're locked out. It's basically this magical plot device that we're trying to find or figure out. And we have to say it over and over and over and over and over again. And in this one, it's demon blood. 
We have to figure out Macy's demon blood. We have to talk about Macy's demon blood. Macy has to think about nothing but her demon blood at all times. Very much that. The other thing that is a huge major difference between this show and the last is the source. And I loved this change. Yes. I thought this was so good. So good. So good. It's so good because... It's so much more in alignment with real magic and witchcraft. In in my personal worldview, it, this is exactly how I think about the magical world. I talk about the source or source energy all the time because it's it's the place where all of our power comes from, where all life comes from, and where we return to. And that is basically the same idea that they present with the source in this show, is that it's the, the source of magical power. Would you say that the source is your demon blood? The source is my demon blood, yes. I love that it is primarily an energy and not a person. Go Would ahead. you tell us what was the source in the original? The source in the original Charmed was a, uh, like, mutilated daddy that... <laughs> um, <laughs> Oh, I'm already so glad I asked you this question. <laughs> he was he was this uh, tattoo daddy with an impact play kink that was just like really ominous and spooky and like, ooh, I'm evil and I, I rule over the evil things. Um, and he, it was like a title. Being the source was a title in the original Charmed for a demon that ruled over all demons, which was interesting and a good idea this charmed kind of felt guilty like kind of fell prey to the same thing that the original charm did where they brought that out too soon um and used it too soon when it really should have been something that happened later oh so say okay so i i respect your opinion but i don't agree with that um i i liked it as the end of season one a lot I, it was good as the end of season one but it had similar to the way that the the original charmed was like this is the ultimate evil this is the big bad this is the source of all evil so then what happens after? And, oh, wait, no, never mind. This thing's the source of all evil. This is the main bad guy. This, there was lots of, like, starting over in the original charm because it was like, well, if this is the source of all evil, then what's next? Um, but in this one, the source is an energy, and it, the witches and the demons both get their power from it, and it's interpreted differently, which is so much more in alignment with real mysticism. But this is a big reveal, because throughout the course of the show, we start talking, they, they reference the source of all evil. The demons are looking for the source of all evil. And we are kind of thinking, oh, this is like the big bad daddy demon, like it was before. Mm -hmm. um, meanwhile, the witches are searching for the flame of magic, which is... Yeah allegedly the source where all of witches magic comes from and then the big reveal is that the flame and the source are the same thing so mm -hmm. and this i this is like this has huge implications that we could talk about um because they've all decided that witches are inherently good and demons are inherently evil and it has to do with where their power comes from and then they realize that their power comes from the same place which is now telling us that I guess what Lyria would say, true magic is neither black nor white. Yes. It's both because nature is both. Do you know how to use candles? <laughs> you know? <laughs> um. Yeah, no, it's it's very much it's very much that. It's like who's using it influences 
what it is. And I love that. But there's a huger, a much larger moral conversation going on there because in the original Charmed, we there's a lot of um, nature trumping nurture in the original Charmed. Yes. Like, and they they very rarely explore that. It's like you are either inherently good or evil and there's not a lot that you can do about that. Whereas in this show, we're saying, fuck that Christian bullshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> fuck your original sin. The original Charmed is so Christian. And this show... Not really like that. I would, no. I would, I would propose, and you might disagree with me about this. Even though some of the witchcraft in this show is a bit more fanciful, uh, I would, I would pose that this show is so much more about witchcraft than the original Charmed actually is. Thematically and metaphorically, the reboot is much closer to actual witchcraft, and I would say that physically and visually, the original. It's more close to actual witchcraft. Honestly, I mean, I love the change in the elders, but I think the change with the source was my favorite thing about season one. I think it was really fun good. I really do. Um, and I do also love, because the source came back in uh, season three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just realized that we did leave out a character that I would like to talk about briefly. Who? Um, Lucy. Who's that? Lucy is the um, the head sorority girl of... Kappa 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 or whatever that oh. oh god it's not Kappa 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 that would be bad it's not that <laughs> oh my <laughs> do we have to talk about Lucy I hate her Lucy sucks I Lucy sucks Okay, Lucy's the head of the sorority that Maggie's trying to get into. And I think she's really funny. And she's a little bit of an antagonist, but like an antagonist that you kind of like get inside her mind. And she gets like summarily written out of the show too, without really any kind of climax. Well, that's that's the thing. And I'm skipping ahead a little bit. So I kinda of, I'm kinda of, I'm kinda of glad we talked about Lucy. <laughs> the thing that happens with this show, especially in season one, is something that Nathan was talking about a lot as I was watching this. It was like, there's no stakes, really. Everything feels very contained to the the situation that it's in, which is a valid opinion. But there are so many things about season one that could have been explored so much more and had a better solution, had a better resolution than what we actually get, especially in season two. Right. There are so many things that weren't tied up in season one that could have been addressed. And then because of how season two begins, that that it all gets swept under the rug, never to be seen again. Yes. Which I mean, to be. And the only thing the only thing that does come back is fucking Parker. Yeah. And to be fair, sometimes that is how real life works. But yeah, that's not necessarily how you want your storytelling to go. Uh, There was a very meager attempt to encapsulate the familial vibes of the original show in season one and it almost did it but not quite for me and that was the really that was really like that's the one area for me where i feel like this show kind of failed so you don't feel like the sisterly bond was there as much no i I don't especially not in the seasons to come and i will talk about that more but let me get there but i kind of want to hear can can you tell me like just in in the framework of season one and just talk about that some more just in the framework of season one i feel like it was there in season one right but it it wasn't there very much was a mel and maggie and macy and they were kind of together but kind of not i don't don't know i can't really explain it. it i just didn't feel it right it didn't feel all that sisterly to me um there are parts of this show to me that feel really like 
a procedural cop show, especially later. But in season one... Oh, especially later, sure. Yeah. But in season one, there was some of it there, uh, especially with, like, the death of the mom and Macy grieving her mother and Macy finding out that she and Maggie were the full sisters, not she and Mel. Like, mm. there was family drama. We have to get into that. We have to get into that. There, There was family drama, but I didn't feel like there was family. Does that make sense? Um, I understand what you're saying. Yes, I don't necessarily... No, I don't agree, actually. Um, I feel like... I feel like there were a lot of good sister moments. Um, and especially I liked in the second episode where, um, Macy was at odds with Mel and Maggie, and there was, like, a very clear discussion of, like, this is because I'm the new one, this is because I didn't grow up with you, that you don't agree with me, kind of thing Mm -hmm. that Macy had going on and I felt like that was really explored and I feel like the other two had to um, reckon with that and apologize for it in the end. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like it was really realistic. So I think the way that it's handled is realistic. Yes. Um, The way that the dynamic plays out with Macy being like a brand new person that they'd never met before and like kind of adjusting to that, that feels real. Um, But once they're like quote unquote past that, it doesn't feel sincere to me. And I, I can't really give you a specific point where that happens. It just feels like all of the sister moments are really small in comparison to the other things that go on. Whereas the original Charmed, that was less so. Well, I feel like I feel like in original Charmed, the family dynamic was pretty heavy in the first couple of seasons. But in the later seasons, when all the actresses really started to hate each other, that definitely went by the wayside. They were like, instead, how can we keep these girls apart? Yeah, I can. I mean, yeah. Which I it wasn't. It didn't get that vibe from the reboot for sure. No, but the thing the thing is like, in season one, the like sisterly bonding moments are really small in comparison to the scope of the things that they're dealing with. There's it's less family focused and more like witchcraft focused, which is fine. But it didn't evoke the same sense of these girls are sisters to me. You know, I have an additional counterpoint. Not to change the subject, but I'm changing the subject. Um where you said that the stakes don't feel as high because now I'm thinking, you know, in the original charmed, the first season about is about like you guys just learned your witches. What's that like? And in the charmed reboot, like right off the bat, Harry's like, "You guys just learned your witches." And also, if you don't do something about it, the world's going to fucking end. <laughs> Can I just call out this one line in episode 1 of season 1? Harry references presidential tweets as a sign of the apocalypse. <laughs> I mean... Tell us how you really feel. I mean... I mean... Oh yeah, they said that in their pilot episode. They fucking said that. It's it's too big too fast. And it makes it like... It takes away from what the family dynamic is supposed to be. Heavy handed. Yes, it's heavy handed. Okay, so you mentioned something that we have to circle back to now. Mm -hmm. Um, And you mentioned the change in Maggie's parentage on the show. Do you know why that occurred? Uh, I assume because Sarah Jeffries is, or Sarah Jeffries is half black and they wanted to like incorporate that. Yes. So in the original genealogy of the show, um, Mel and Maggie are full sisters with their mother Marisol, who we have to get into after this and their father, um, Ray. Ray. Yes. Thank you. Um, I've also forgotten the other dad's name, (laughs) which is embarrassing. Okay. But anyway, I think, uh, I think, it's Dexter. Dexter, that is correct. Okay, yes. Okay, so in the original genealogy, Ray and Marisol, who are both Latino, um, gave birth to uh, Mel and Maggie. 
And then um, prior to that, Marisol was with a black man named Dexter, and they gave birth to Macy. That's the original mythology or whatever, original story. Um, So there was a, a fan conversation that got pretty popular on social media where people were saying, like, how are you claiming that... Maggie and Mel are full-blooded sisters when Melanie Diaz is Latina and Sarah Jeffrey is half Latina and half Black, just like Madeline Mantock. And the show creators listened to that discussion and built it into the show as a reveal. Um, it's, it's sort of stupid that we've um, waited until the end to talk about Marisol, but Marisol's character gets explored a lot, even long past the time when her actress is not appearing in the show anymore. But we didn't get so much of a Finola Hughes situation. Like, she doesn't keep coming back. Right. Throughout the show. I like that they fully examine her as a complicated, problematic person who was just doing her best in difficult situations and didn't always get it right. Like, that to me is the story they told with Marisol, and I like it. Yeah, I I can agree with that. And I also like that um, her actions and their relationship to her and their grief for her continues after she's gone. There there isn't like a, oh, mom died. Let's never talk about her again vibe to it. Like, they talk about their mom for the rest of the show. You know, she's not in it. And we continue. We continue to learn more about her as the show progresses. Yeah. And I think that that's a lot more realistic than a character dying and them never being spoken about again, which is usually what happens on television. It it treated Marisol like she really was the girl's dead mom and not just an actress that wasn't on the show anymore. But like Marisol was a powerful witch. Marisol was concerned with the fate of the world. Marisol tried to be a good mother. Marisol cheated on her husband. (laughs) Marisol um, used necromancy to bring a dead baby back to life. Um, Let's see. Marisol was an elder and involved in however problematic that was. And we will later learn about all sorts of other shit she did in season three that we didn't know about. Um, Marisol kept a lot of secrets from everyone in her life. And she also tried her best to make sure that the Charmed Ones turned out okay. Like, there's a lot going on there. And I think it's still very good. But because of Marisol's actions in reviving Macy, Macy ends up becoming the source of all evil. She takes on the power of the source because she's eligible, basically. Like, because she's got demon blood within the course of the story, only like a half demon can... Someone that like walks between the worlds is the only one that can take on the source because it's like the source of two different powers. It is complex and it doesn't always make a bunch of sense, but basically because Maisie has demon blood, blah, 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 she can be the source. Maisie takes on the source and that's what gets us to the climax of the season. So now I guess we should... We should we're going to talk about the last episode of season one of the reboot being very similar to the last episode of season one of the original. Yes. But, and also just very different as well. Similar and different. It's good. It's good. Yeah. It's very good. It is very good. It was a good homage and a good original episode at the same time. Yep. So, you know, um, I'd like Phoenix mentioned Galvin dies. He basically sacrifices himself in a Yoruba ritual to um, stop the sky from raining blood and the world from ending, I guess. Yeah. And Oh, to stop yeah, everyone's diseased. Mm-hmm. This actually was before COVID. This was before COVID, but there was like a blood plague that was killing people and also making them murderers very 28 days later. So Galvin sacrifices himself to stop that, which also makes me want to ask the question, why is it that 
Uh, the African magic system requires, like, death and sacrifice when the Western system doesn't require that sort of thing. I think there might be a little bit of racism involved in there. I mean, what's not racist, to be honest? Correct, correct, correct. Our last episode is like a super climax, actually, because the big bad has been defeated at the end of the second to last episode, or so we think, and then Macy goes all Dark Willow. Yeah, goes crazy, yeah. The big bad of the season is Macy. It's I think it's much more well done than Dark Willow, actually. By a lot. But it's reminiscent. It's reminiscent of Willow in Buffy season six. Um, Macy has all of this magic power. She has like all the magic power in the world, basically. And she's a traumatized person who's been through a lot of emotional shit. Like um, the first guy she ever had sex with and loved just died in front of her, for example. Um, she's got a lot of abandonment issues, which is, I guess, wholly what the episode is about, is Macy's abandonment issues. Um, so she's got all this power, and she's trying to fix the world the way she likes it, and it keeps resulting in further tragedy that she then tries to use her magic to fix, and things start spiraling out of control. Yeah. And that's that's pretty different. Um, I, It is reminiscent of Buffy season six, but I, it's it's very different and honestly just better, in my opinion. Not that I don't love Dark Willow. I think Macy made it not to use this word in our fantasy show again. I think she made it more realistic. Um, it 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 does read a lot more real uh, with Macy, and she's just tr- she's just trying to like make things right. She's not trying to hurt anyone. Um, she's just trying to make her life better. The fact that it's not motivated by vengeance. I don't. I honestly, I don't actually don't think it's fair to compare it to Dark Willow because there's so there's such different circumstances she took on a bunch of magic after her lover died and lost control of it so okay fair okay fair um but her actions are not all grief stricken and vengeance motivated there are macy had different motivations for the things that she did so yeah but it it ends up creating macy ends up creating all these parallel universes and different timelines and it's just very similar to the original charmed season finale Uh well so there's a lot of time jumping around that happens in this episode whereas as you know because we literally just talked about it the charmed original season one finale was about a time loop um so we're not exactly in a time loop but we are in some weird time magic territory and it also has to do with the death of a main character who's a love interest. Um, I do want to talk about Galvin's final scene of the show because it's very interesting. His final scene is very anticlimactic, actually, um, because Macy has brought him back to life with her ultimate power. And then one of the other sisters goes to talk to him and Galvin basically tells us it's he doesn't feel right. He feels like he should be dead. And that's the last scene we have of him. I... I like how they ended the season. I genuinely really do. I thought it was a great episode. It's a great episode. There's one thing that I don't love, and it's really small. It's the necklace thing. (laughs) I don't love that the source of all magic fits into this tiny little fucking necklace that Macy wore. And it's like, isn't it like a yin-yang? Oh god, I never even thought about that. Well, so... The yin-yang kind of encompasses what they were talking about with the source and the flame. And so the yin-yang thing is a choice. And I think it kind of makes sense in a pop culture understanding of the yin-yang. But I hope at this point we all know that what we think of the yin-yang, what we think of its meaning that we learned in the 90s when it was just on stickers fucking everywhere is not a fully nuanced, complete discussion of its meaning in Eastern culture. 
through time. So anyway, so using the yin yang is a choice. Yeah. I also don't like the, the, the chant that they do is like Mel says the sister of time, something, something, something. Then Macy's like the sister of space, something, something, something. And then Maggie says the sister of emotion, which I know that like, that's her power, but I feel like there was a better word that sounded more witchy than emotion. I don't know. It seemed like a, it's an interesting add on to the concept of time and space. I would like to, I would have liked to have heard like time, space, and spirit. That was a little bit more succinct. It did, it did harken back to that whole, like our powers are different and our strength is in our differences kind of thing that I really enjoyed about Original Charmed. The last episode of the season gave me that sisterly feeling that I was craving throughout the rest of the show. Mm Mm-hmm. The rest of the season, I mean. So, of course, let's I mean, let's get down to the climax. The climax is that Macy has abandonment issues, and that's manifesting in her ultimate power in very destructive ways. Finally, her sisters convince her that they're not going to leave her. Which, again, is sort of harkens back to Dark Willow, how Xander, you know, got her to stop by saying that he's still going to be there with her no matter what. Mm -hmm. This is a very similar parallel, yeah. And I just, I think it's so cool how it sort of referenced the end of the original show's first season. Yeah. No, I love that. I absolutely love that. But now let's talk about what happens after that. The So all the elders have died, by the way. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I hope you weren't, I hope you weren't attached to that. Um, <laughs> they're all dead. Yeah. Except for, you know, one later who isn't an elder anymore or whatever. And that makes sense. Um, but other than that, all the elders are dead and the charmed ones take over as the new elders. That's yeah. the, that's the, final scene and if you think that that story is going somewhere you're it's not it's It's not it's (laughs) It's not not happening um (laughs) and that's what i was talking about earlier that's what i was saying earlier like all of this stuff really should have had a resolution in the first season doesn't ever get one it feels to me like you know i think they probably originally intended to have that be season two Like, they're still in Hilltown, Michigan, and they're the new elders, and they're the charmed ones. What does this look like? And then at some point between the seasons, they were like, what if we fucking scrapped it all and changed everything? I feel like that was an executive's kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like they were told, we didn't like this, change it. It's almost like they were like, okay, you've paid homage to the original, now stop doing that entirely. Yeah, it feels like, it almost felt spiteful or was that their attempt to appease the angry original fans did they think that if they changed it completely that they wouldn't hate them so much did they think that because it didn't work no it did not work it made the show much less enjoyable but yeah that's the end of season one i I really like the first season of this show i think it's my favorite one it is i think it's awesome um i enjoyed watching it in real time because i did like i would watch it when it would come out on the cw app because i was obsessed and i loved every moment of season one. I've watched it in its entirety four times. Season one is great. I think it explores its themes really well. I think it's very like socially conscious and aware and responsible while also still being entertaining, which is sometimes a hard balance to strike. And I, it, it's just great. It's just great. And um, it's a 10 out of 10 for season one for me, except for that one episode where Macy's favorite TV show characters come to life. I didn't really like that one. You didn't like that one because that's my second favorite one. I did not I like that one. I love that one. Shut up. That one is so good. I did not no, come care on. for it. Come on. I did not They are a it. reboot. No. Okay. They're a reboot of a 90s supernatural drama, and they did an episode where they went into a 90s supernatural TV show. That is hilarious. Uh, 
It's hilarious. It literally felt like Sam and Dean from Supernatural. They were making fun of Sam and Dean on purpose. I know, but I didn't like it. And it was funny. I loved it. I didn't find it that entertaining. Uh, We have massively different opinions of that episode, apparently, which is fine. Which is, you know, what I love about you, Phoenix. I was actually, um, I was on the phone with my sister um, talking about myself for a change. And (laughs) (laughs) yeah, sure. (laughs) And uh, I was on the phone with my sister and I was telling her how great it is that um, you and I have such differing opinions and how it makes for like such good content, I think. So mm-hmm. I'm not yeah. mad at you at all for disliking the episode. Not even a little bit, but I love my, so my first favorite episode is probably the pilot. I really like the pilot episode a lot. My second favorite episode is probably the one where Maggie goes into Tartarus because that's the first time that the power of three manifests and does something cool. And that's something that I want to talk about later. Mm, yeah. They really did change the mythology there too, but we can get into that. Um, I, I really like the Medusa one. I really like the TV show one. The pilot was good. Um, but I really liked the finale. I think those are my three favorites. I like the finale too. Okay. If I were going to rate this season, I would give it three kick-ass women of color. I'm trying to think how many lesbians we met. Um, oh my God. I would give this season four queer women, three of whom are women of color and none of whom die. Fuck yeah. There wasn't really a lot of death. So I feel like the kill of the day is probably Galvin. Except I want to call it kill of the season. Oh, so the kill of the season. The kill of the season. Yes. And the, I, the kill of the season is Galvin. God damn it. It is. It's the most meaningful death besides the death of Marisol. Oh, wait. No, no. My favorite kill of the season is fucking Charity because that was so satisfying. Dude, fuck that bitch. Fuck that fuck bitch. Fuck that bitch. Because I don't like that. I don't like that Galvin died. I don't like that Galvin died either, but it also sort of feels like a natural ending. And again, it felt like homage to the original, to me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess what I want to say is that I don't, I'm not going to celebrate like a black man being killed off and a black actor losing work. I'm not going to celebrate that. But I do want to say that in this show, it's, I guess, less socially irresponsible to kill off a minority character because the entire show is populated by minority characters. So it's not like you're killing off the only one, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I guess that's something. Like, we don't have to discuss the Charmed Reboot killing off its only black character because Galvin is far from the only black character, you know? Which is amazing. Yes. Which is amazing. Correct. Correct. And the thing is... It made it, like like you're saying, it made it okay for him to be the one that like got the axe, right? And it also gave an opportunity to do that in such a meaningful and impactful way for the show without us having to be like, oh, it really sucks that that black character died. Kill of the day. All right, Siren. Where can the people find you? Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Siren Spectacular. You can follow me on Facebook at Siren Spectacular, Non-Binary Meme Witch, or you can watch my coven's YouTube channel, Millennial Incantation. You can follow me on Instagram at Phoenix Arcana Lightwood. You can follow me on Twitter at Phoenix Arcana underscore. Uh, you can follow the podcast at WBRcast on all social media platforms. If you have a question or something you would like to hear us talk about or any input on anything we discussed today, please feel free to send us an email at witchbereview at gmail.com. Also, by the time this comes out, hopefully my new podcast will be aired. Um, it's called G's Who Died, where I explore my relationship with grief and sometimes it's relationship to other people. And you can follow that at who died pod on all social media platforms so check it out if you want to hear me talk about my dead parents a whole bunch more than i do here (laughs) 
And also, I would like to let all of you know that Phoenix and I actually got to guest star on two episodes of another podcast. We were on my favorite podcast. It's called Hey Adora, a queer She-Ra podcast. Um, we talked about one episode, but it was so long that they split it into two episodes because they didn't want to cut anything. We had the best conversation with Meth and Jenny over at Hey Adora. It was so much fun. And as some of you know, She-Ra is one of my favorite shows ever. Um, and it was so cool to hang out with three other intelligent queer people with varying ties to witchcraft talking about film studies and queerness and how actual witchcraft fits into this new fantasy world. It was such a good episode. So you have to go over to Hey Adora and listen to our episode, Light Spinner. All right, all you problematic mother figures. <laughs> oh, I feel attacked. Keep on witching. And bitching. Bye. Bye. Are you a good witch or a bad witch?